Happy Monday. Welcome in to Caleb and Kenny in the morning on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. A lot to dive into on a Monday after a busy weekend of football. The Colts force overtime but come up short against the Rams. We'll get to that after headlines. Plus, Notre Dame somehow beats Duke on a very, very off night. Meanwhile, IU lifeless on offense, and they finally made a change. But what's behind the change and some of the, the, the wording bit confusing what's going on here with uh, Tom Allen and this team. Meanwhile, Purdue rolls. They get a huge win as the people beats the teacher. Uh, meanwhile, in hour number two, here we go again. Jonathan Taylor reportedly going to be back at practice this week for the Colts. What are the next steps for that? Plus, who is the real number one in college football? Yes, it's Georgia according to the polls, but you could debate it's several different teams. Uh, plus, another sign Shaq Leonard is done as a Colt after this season. And the white cloth stealing three-legged bear is at it again. Oh, at a boy. Back we'll, again. We'll have that around 8.50 uh, or so when we wrap it up here this morning. Morning, Justin. How good was the morning. weekend? Uh, it was good. How about you? It was good. It was busy. Um, we were up in Michigan all day Saturday, so I, I feel like I actually am finally recovered as far as sleep because we left at 7.30 Ooh. on Saturday morning, so... A lot of fog Man. Saturday morning. Yeah, there was. was. a uh, pretty harrowing drive. Harrowing. That's a good yes. word. That's yes. a good adjective. Yes. Harrowing. little fog out there this morning, but um, not as much as the last couple of days, but warming up to the mid-80s. Enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, I, I saw the weather for Friday. <laughs> Bottom's going to drop out Wolf. this weekend. So enjoy maybe our last couple of days, at least in the upper 80s 86 87 the next couple days so uh this is the thing is when people talk about average temperatures this time of year this is how you get averages okay you have 85 degrees then you have 55 degrees you average it together you know it's going to be 70 degrees but it always seems to be the uh the polar opposites you know the the different ends of the spectrum that we get to that average so the average temperature these days is 70 well we're going to see it this week by 80s and then 50s. Yeah, so I'm not, be ready. not looking forward to the cool down because I, uh, you and I both prefer the warmer weather. All day. And All day, every day. We have hardly had any days that are so hot that are miserable this summer. And now as we move into fall, I mean, it, the bottom is going to drop out. Uh, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. 46862. Just type in CK first and then your questions, your comments, whatever you have for us. You can also stream us 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or your smart speaker. And reach us on Twitter, CalebKinney1380, our show handle. My handle is Caleb Hatch. Justin's is OPS, And you can follow us uh, as far as the station, 1380thefan. So pretty easy to remember all of those. So headlines. Uh, we start in the NFL, of course. And the Jets competed after falling down big, but ultimately Kansas City uh, gets the win last night on Sunday Night Football. Patrick Mahomes does it again. Uh, a penalty on Sauce, Sauce Gardner negated a Patrick Holmes late interception. But here's the thing: you you fall behind like the Jets did. It's it's hard to like again like these situations. It's a full game, right? And it's so easy to focus on one or two plays, but it's a full game of work, right? And 
in the NFL, you have to play a complete four quarters. And no we saw it yesterday in, in two area games too, in terms of getting up big and falling down big is regardless of what side you're on, if you can't finish, if you can't play well in the second half and put teams away, they're going to put a scare into you. We saw the Jets do that last night. The Jets, though, couldn't score in the fourth quarter uh, after uh, the touchdown in the third by the New York Jets, Zach Wilson to, um, I think it was Anthony Lazard, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, For the touchdown, but Jets couldn't score after that and had some opportunities late, didn't convert. Patrick Mahomes, you could say, was off last night, 203 yards and a touchdown, two interceptions, but Isaiah Pacheco, over 100 yards rushing and a score. Chiefs keep rolling, they're 3-1, and and the Jets, it looked good in the final score, but the Jets fell down early and we're really playing from behind the entire game. Meanwhile, elsewhere, the Raiders fall to the Chargers. This is notable because former Purdue quarterback Aiden O'Connell made his NFL debut. 24 of 39, 238 yards, no touchdowns a pick, but a stat that really matters, sacked seven times, six of those times by Khalil Mack. Six sacks for Khalil Mack yesterday? I I didn't hear that. Uh, meanwhile, the Patriots get blown out by the Cowboys, 38-3, 35-point uh, margin of defeat, the worst for Bill Belichick in his 29-year coaching career. It was uh, it was pretty ugly yesterday um, in Arlington. If you're a Patriots fan, that's for I know there's there's not very many heavy hearts around this area for the New England <laughs> no. Patriots, but Dallas looked once again as advertised. It was a complete game offensively and defensively for them. Dak Prescott was on, even uh, mixed in some Cooper rush towards the end of the game, but a dominant performance by the Cowboys, who um, still, look, uh, after a one-week hiccup last week against the Arizona Cardinals, are back to looking like one of the top teams in all of football. Meanwhile, the Bills get a huge win over the Dolphins, so the Dolphins finally lose. Josh Allen, a huge day, 21-25, 320 yards, four touchdowns, no pack, uh, no picks, also ran for a touchdown. Um, and for Miami, Tua, eh, solid, 25-35, 282, a touchdown, and a pick, but sacked four times. So um, Josh Allen was so good, he had a perfect uh, rating. 158. QBR, huh? uh, not QBR, but perfect rating. Gotcha. Quarterback rating, which is different than QBR. It's ah, confusing. Um, sure. 158.3, though, is, is the perfect standard. He had it yesterday, uh, and the Bills roll over the Dolphins uh, pretty handily. So you, you look at the, the AFC East and Miami and uh, the Bills, obviously going to be there throughout the course of time. Uh, meanwhile, the Bears. Got up big, 28-7, end up losing to Denver at the end by a field goal. Oh, it's vintage Bears. When they were up 28-7, Justin Fields has a career day, 335 yards, four touchdowns. But in the end, when the Bears needed a score late in the game, Justin Fields couldn't convert. And you can praise his game, and he was very impressive, albeit against a team that gave up 70 points last week. But when crunch time was in effect, Justin Fields couldn't convert. 
you could blame Matt Eberflus for deciding for some reason to go for it on fourth and one on the previous drive with the game tied at 28 and getting stuffed. Yeah, it was a not a great play call there. I mean, if you're in high school and you go, okay, we're, we're, we're not even close. We don't have a kicker, blah, blah, blah. but you, it's the NFL. You should have a kicker that can make a 43, 45 yard field goal. Instead, the Bears decide to go for it. And their play calling, of course, is absolutely vanilla, just running up the middle and they get stopped. Denver ends up going down, kicking a field goal. Then the Bears get the get the, the ball back, and we're driving, but then a horrible, intentional grounding play by Justin Fields, and then follows it up with a pick and game over. So the Bears, 28-7, and I knew this was going to happen. I put a couple dollars on the Denver Broncos at plus 1,600 to win. Needless to say, it was a, a good bet because the Bears lost. Yeah, now the, the good news for it. the Bears, they they still have picks one and two next year's draft. The bad news, their 21-point lead that they blew in the loss, largest blown lead in franchise history, tied with 2002 against the Patriots, 1953 against the 49ers. It, it you just, as, as, as much life as the offense showed yesterday, there's still lack of positives you can take up because it's a game you should have won. And it goes back to being able to play complete four quarters of football. We saw it yesterday also with the Rams. We'll talk about with the Colts because you're up 23-0. There's no reason why you should let your opponent back in the game. The Bears are up 28-7. There's no reason. 28-7, three minutes left in the third quarter. There's no reason why the Denver Broncos should make that a game. Not only did they did, they won the game. And people are going to say, well, the Bears need to fire Matt Eberflus. Well, here's the problem. You don't have a defensive coordinator. So Matt Eberflus is running the defense. Your your offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, is incompetent, in my opinion. So who the hell would coach this team if you fire Matt Eberflus? I'm sure they could find somebody. Well, I'm sure they could find somebody. But is somebody <laughs> qualified? But then again, I guess you know Matt Eberflus doesn't seem to be qualified to coach this team. So... Just when you think that the Bears could could actually get a win, they find a way to lose it, and now they're entering their 12th month of not winning a game in the National Football League. It's been almost a calendar year since the Bears have won a football game. Just crazy, because it's not like they didn't win any games last year, right? So the other one, Well, <laughs> they, they started just, off like 2-1 and one or 3-1, three 3-2, and one, three and two, something like that, and then lost out. Uh, um, mean, meanwhile... In the NBA yesterday, so we knew that Drew Holiday would probably be on the trading block after he was traded away from the Bucks. Well, that came pretty quickly. Uh, the Trailblazers trading Holiday to the Celtics. In return, uh, Portland getting Robert Williams. Pretty good piece. Malcolm Brogdon, former Indiana Pacer. A 2024 Golden State first-round pick. A 2029 unprotected Boston first to the Blazers as well. So the terms of that deal. So he goes... Back to a contender, which again, as expected, you, you would think someone would trade in one for and for for uh, Boston. Drew Holiday, I would say, is a slight upgrade over Malcolm Brogdon. Is it me or did Boston give up a hell of a lot? They did. For Drew Holiday. Oh, they did. <laughs> they gave up a lot. Like Robert Williams, one of your, your best guys off the bench. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, a starter for you. Um, you, you give up some future picks. Yeah, two first-round picks. I mean, you don't expect those to be high this coming year. The The other one, too, is 2029. I don't think I've ever seen a trade with a first-round pick or any pick that far in advance. That's six years from now. 
for that first round pick, that second first round pick. But to me, I just think Portland cleaned up with this trade. I, I would agree. I, I feel like they got a lot in return from the initial trade, too. So, yeah, Portland's not going to be a probably not going to be a playoff team, but they they've acquired a lot of young talent, a lot of picks, and they could maybe be set up to do something sooner than I think a lot of people think. Obviously not this season, but maybe as soon as season down the road, kind of like what we've seen with the Pacers with where they were at last year. You thought, wow, they're a season ahead of schedule. Um, but yeah, that was quite the deal. Now, I don't think it was as uh, imbalanced as the proposed trade that uh, we saw and threw out there on Friday's show as oh, far as yeah. the Pacers acquiring Drew Holiday and giving up a ton of picks, which would be of zero value at this point. But uh, yeah, Boston giving up a lot. But again, they're in win-now mode. They've been trying to win a title. Brad Stevens, remember, he's the guy running the ship now. No longer the coach, but he's in the front office. He's trying to make this happen, and they've come close. They've secured Jalen Brown long-term, obviously Jason Tatum long-term, and now they're hoping Drew Holiday could be that piece that they needed to push them over the top. But you get rid of of a, a big depth piece in Robert Williams. Yes. And that, I think, puts more pressure on Kristaps Persingas mm-hmm. to perform in his role um, in terms of being able to be like a rim protector type guy. If that doesn't work, if Porzingis can't step up, you're looking at Al Horford. Yeah. The et- et- eternal, uh, everlasting player in the NBA that he's 37, 38 years old as your top guy off the bench to protect the rim. I don't know how that's going to work for Boston. But like you said, they're in win-now mode. Portland knew that, knew that it could try to fleece the Celtics and really got a great return for Drew Holiday. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball, uh, Joey Votto ejected in his perhaps final game as a Red. Reds fall to St. Louis 4-3. to three. Uh, Elsewhere around the league, the Cubs, playoff hopes already dashed. Um, they fall to Milwaukee four to nothing. So Cubs and Reds both out of the postseason, and we talked about pretty much both those teams the whole summer battling for a wild card spot. Ends up going to Miami after all, and in the end, neither one of them are in. I think you can take positives for both the Cubs and the Reds. The Reds lost a hundred games last year, weren't expected to be even in a position to compete for a playoff spot in early October. So for them to do that, I think is positive for them. And I think too for the for the Chicago Cubs, when you looked at this rebuild and people were asking how long it's going to take for this rebuild, well, it's obviously coming together. You got to look at Cody Bellinger as a guy you need to bring back and make sure he's in the fold. What does the rotation look like going forward? The back end of that bullpen needs all the help it can possibly get, as we saw throughout September with the Colts blowing lead after lead late in the game. But when you look at this, both the Reds and the Cubs, I think you have teams that can contend if they make the right moves in the offseason. And we'll see if those two franchises can do that. And you got to remember, both these teams didn't start hitting their stride until sometime around June. So the first couple months of the season were not great. Especially the Cubs. They looked just terrible for the start of the season. So that was was kind of part of the reason why it took a while. Uh, Meanwhile, back here at home, St. Francis... Uh, won their conference opener over the weekend, forty-four to nine, uh, over Madonna. So St. Francis improves to two and two on the season, and again one and zero in the MSFA uh, Mid East League on the season. So they get a win 
in their conference opener over the weekend. 46862, your text line number 46862. Meanwhile, the Colts rally from down 23. They force overtime against the Rams. Things were looking good. And then Matthew Stafford, Apuka, Nakua once again took over this game. Colts fall at home in overtime. And I here's my biggest takeaway from the game. It's it's not the loss. Because I know a lot of people can say, well, the Colts are right there. It's like, well, they weren't right there in the first half. They weren't right there for much of the third quarter. This, to me, felt like the game where I saw Anthony Richardson and I thought, okay, for sure, if this guy can stay healthy, he will be a legit NFL quarterback. He showed enough to me. In the second half. Yes, in the second half. Poise, patience, is persistent. Uh, He was leading the team. He was running drives when you know you had to get points i I just saw a guy whose confidence i I feel like skyrocketed in this game he stayed healthy yeah he was limping a bit but came back he was fine this to me felt like anthony richardson's game where he proved any of the remaining doubters that he is not only an nfl quarterback but could really be the franchise guy for the next 10 years i think there were definite positive signs and you knew if you were a rational Colts fan, that you were going to see the ups and downs of starting a rookie quarterback that's so young, right? And you saw that yesterday. Started for for the first two and a half quarters, had five completions for the game. Still finished with just a 44% completion rate on the night or on the afternoon. 11 of 25. But threw for 200 yards, two touchdowns, lost a fumble yesterday which was his just his second turnover of the year can't be losing fumbles of course but you saw enough in that second half to say yes there is a really good NFL quarterback in there in Anthony Richardson he just needs to find the consistency and we knew that was what it was going to be about this year is finding that consistency with Anthony Richardson and even in a a a game you could see good Anthony Richardson and bad Anthony Richardson. But in the end, he was able to look at a 23 nothing deficit, bring the Colts all the way back, not only score late, but get the two-point conversion to tie it and send the game into overtime, and then unfortunately couldn't pull it out in the end. The pass rush that was just abysmal all day couldn't get to Matt Stafford. A bad penalty by EJ Speed with the late hit uh, early in the game. Yeah, that was that was really bad. I, someone texting in the penalty on Kenny Moore for hitting a receiver with a shoulder. I, I mean... There were mistakes. There were mistakes across the board. That wasn't the only one. No, I don't think so. I, I, things compounded, particularly late, but I, I think there's a lot po- more positive to take out of the Indianapolis Colts yesterday based on that when they were down 23-0 and I was kind of chuckling myself and sent to sent you I think I just put Colts LOL is that was my thing last week is when people looked at this game and said oh the Colts can go 3 and 1 is their lack of consistency week gate win and week out and one thing that is concerning for the Indianapolis Colts is this was the MO of Frank Reich's teams falling down early yeah and then fighting back and making it a game and eventually losing more often than not is that was the knock on Frank Reich. Frank Reich may as well just have been the coach yesterday because it looked like the exact same teams that Frank Reich coached in Indianapolis. But you look at the ability to come back from 23-0. This, this 
season, I continue to stress, is all about offensive evaluation. It's the evaluation of the wide receivers, and it's an evaluation of that offensive line, and it's especially an evaluation on Anthony Richardson. And I thought you saw enough out of Anthony Richardson yesterday in that second half to say, yeah, he has the the ability to be an NFL quarterback. He's not right now C.J. Stroud, who continues to fling the ball all over the place, and Bryce Young, but he's the youngest of that group. And I think you're seeing growth out of Anthony Richardson with each successive week. So I, I look at this game and say more net positives than negatives for the Colts, despite the loss. And I get it. People are going to nitpick. Well, he went 11 to 25 and in, in the fear of the completion percentage. Here's the thing, though, like that stat only matters if you're a losing games and b playing poorly. Like he had a bad first half, but overall, did he have a bad game? No. I think the one thing that you would be concerned about, though, is the lack of good completion percentage in college and that bleeding over into the NFL. That would be my concern. But I felt like Anthony Richardson, particularly after halftime, was able to turn it around. And uh, he needs to work on his accuracy. That was known going into his rookie season. Missed some throws. But in the end, you saw the leadership qualities of a guy that isn't afraid of the moment. And he was able to perform on the field when the Colts needed him. They just couldn't pull it out in overtime. The The biggest thing that I took away as far as a negative was I thought this was a Rams offensive line that the Colts defensive line could take advantage of. Only two sacks. And Matthew Staff- Stafford was hobbled for a majority of that second half as well in overtime. And it didn't seem to be a huge factor. No, not at all. I mean, DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart were basically non-factors throughout this entire game. And not just Matthew Stafford either, but Kyron Williams able to go over 100 yards rushing, a couple touchdowns, also caught some passes out of the backfield. And now when you look at the Colts trying to prep for Tennessee and Derrick Henry, there's a little bit of a concern there considering how much they allowed Kyron Williams to really able to, to pick them apart in the rushing game. And then, of course, Matt Stafford as well. So... This is the thing. This is the the key thing when you look at the Colts turning the page and improving is consistency week in and week out. And one thing that the NFL is all about is lack of consistency. Look at Dallas last week, and you're not going to see it for 17 games over 18 weeks unless you just have a, a super team. Everybody was talking up Miami last week. Yesterday, they get housed by Buffalo. Okay you're not going to be able to put together 17 dominating weeks in today's NFL. It's just not going to happen. But the Colts need to get to a place where last week is the standard, and more often than not, you're playing that way as opposed to up-and-down football. And we saw good, not just good Anthony Richardson, but good Colts, bad Colts yesterday, first half to second half. A couple of texts uh, coming in. Um, CK Minshew, 2 no. Anthony Richardson, 0-2. Caveat with that, because Richardson started the Houston game and then was knocked out with an injury. So, I mean, technically, yeah, I guess you could take it that way, but, But, like, here's the thing, though. Like, what what do you mean by this? Do you mean that the Colts should start Minshew? Here's the problem. The Colts already already placed themselves in this position where they said he's a starting quarterback for the season, the preseason. We didn't think that was necessary. We figured run with Minshew as long as you can. Then he shows his limitations. And if 
you know, they get out of the playoff picture completely and then just hand the reins over to Anthony Richardson instead. That's not what the Colts did. So they have to give Anthony Richardson the priority if he's not injured uh, because of what they said in the preseason. So you can't take back what they did. And I don't think they're going to do that because I think they're very aware this is very much a development year. You hope to see him play through a lot of the things they needs to work on, you know, turnovers, completion percentage, accuracy, right? All, all those things. And this is on the job training. So you can't go back and just say, well, we're going to start Gardner Minshew now, you know, because after last week, here's the thing. I, I said this Friday. I've said this repeatedly. Gardner Minshew gives the Colts the best chance to, to make the playoffs and to win now. But it's terrible for next season. Like there's well, no value. He's not that. your quarterback for the next 10 years. No, which is what you hope Anthony Richardson is. So you, you made the decision. Anthony Richardson's the guy from day one. You have to stick with it. You made a commitment to a young quarterback and taking the good and the bad out of that. You have Gardner Minshew, who's a phenomenal backup quarterback. Great move by the Indianapolis Colts. But this is the, the, this is what you chose to do. This is the path you went that you were throwing Anthony Richardson in there. And you're going to have to see the growth over the course of the season. You're going to have to deal with the inaccurate throws sometimes out of Anthony Richardson. You're going to have to deal with, once again, I thought yesterday being a little too haphazard with his body yesterday. And you're going to have growth from that and wins and losses. But if you're in win now mode, then you would go Gardner Minshew, but you're not. And you decided you weren't. So as much as you and I thought the best move was to start Gardner Minshew for the jump, we're not here saying you need to go Gardner Minshew. No, you you can't go back. Like you, You can't shake Anthony Richardson's confidence by reversing course mid season. You just, you simply can't do that. The only reason you do that, we already saw happens because of an injury. That's the only reason you can, start Minshew over Richardson based on what the Colts decided in the preseason. And make no mistake, Anthony Richardson has done a phenomenal job in becoming the leader of this offense, which is going to be which is very difficult for a guy that's so young. And that may have been a very a, a good question heading into the year is if Anthony Richardson could be that, could he be a dude that takes control of the offense and runs it like a veteran and gets respect from his teammates? commands the huddle, all those things. All those things seem to be true for Anthony Richardson. If he wasn't doing that, then you could say, yeah, maybe we need to go to Gardner Minshew and let Anthony Richardson continue to learn and improve. But AR has done a great job coming in and really earning the respect of his offense and his teammates. And we saw that again yesterday, particularly in that second half. 46862. Again, the text line numbers let us know your thoughts on Colts and Rams yesterday. Again, 46862. Just type in CK before your message. Uh, like, I, I get it that people are disappointed. It's a, it's another home loss on the season. Um, you're now 0-2 at home and 2-0 on the road. Kind of a, a weird thing to start the year. And you're getting into a key stretch with back-to-back division games. Uh, again, if you're if you're still thinking playoffs, and I get it, they're two and two. But like, if if there is any hope of playoff contention, you win yesterday, right? Because the Rams are a middling team at best. 
Well, I think the Colts are a middling team. Yes. At best as well. Like the, the, the top and the bottom of the NFL has separated itself, but the middle from like, I would say ranking six to 25 is just a jumbled mess mess. And the Colts are in there and it's all about which team gets hot, which team doesn't have injuries, all that stuff. When you play people, I don't think the Indianapolis Colts are making the playoffs. I don't think at two and one, you felt like they could make the playoffs. I don't think at three and one, if we're talking about a, a, a Colts win this morning, I don't think they can make the playoffs, but for the Colts, I think going forward is it's all about Anthony Richardson and, and make no mistake with, with the Colts yesterday is in watching that game. How often did you think about Jonathan Taylor? How often did you look at that offense? And maybe in the first half you did, or maybe not, but in the second half going, man, what this offense could do with Jonathan Taylor, because me, I never once felt that way. Zach Moss again had another really good game yesterday. It's funny. I thought about it more than before because Zach Moss was limited really until the second half. So there just wasn't a lot of space. And and my thing is it'll help Richardson so much with having Jonathan Taylor just because the running game, it's opened up that much more. Is it Jonathan Taylor though, or the offensive line? I think it's Jonathan Taylor. I thought the I thought the Colts ran the ball pretty good yesterday. Now when they got down twenty three, they had to start passing. But Zach Moss goes for seventy yards on eighteen carries. I thought he was solid. Anthony Richardson was able to pick up some yards with his legs as well. I, I just felt like not once did I look at that game and say, Well, they wouldn't be down twenty three nothing if they had Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor is betting on that, betting on that philosophy. But I just it didn't hit me once yesterday thinking where this team could be if they had Taylor on the field. 4-6-8-6-2. CK not going for a field goal with about three minutes left in the third quarter was a mistake. Should have taken the points. Always, 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 always take the points. Unless you absolutely have to go for it, you don't go for it. You take the points. We saw that hurt the Colts yesterday. We saw it hurt the Bears yesterday. Fourth and one inside the 30, kick late the field goal. in a tie game, kick the field goal and take the lead. That's just absurd. High school's different because, well, you never know if you have a kicker, right? Even college. I don't know if our kicker is accurate enough to make college, this 45 College kickers goal. are a thing, and the thing is usually they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I get it. But at the in professional football in the NFL, take, 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 take the points every single time. I agree. I agree. I mean, it was a missed opportunity. Uh, another text, uh, the Rams show the Colts. You can get a really good receiver in the fifth round if you know how to evaluate one. Ouch. Well, I mean... Uh, that is an obvious, glaring Puka thing is for, for Indy is that been simply they don't have enough at receiver. Well, when your top receiver is Andrew Ogletree yesterday... And you had Michael Pittman one catch for 15 yards. Alec Pierce one catch for 38 yards. Um, Downs and Granson had more catches, I think, than Pittman and and uh, um, Pierce did. But I, I agree. I, I I look at the lack of game breaking wide receivers as a big thing. And if you're the Indianapolis Colts, you're going. Can we lose enough to get Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't know if you can. You're ahead of the eight ball because you have a couple wins. But either in the draft or free agency, the Colts 
are looking like a team that need desperately, desperately need a number one wide receiver. 46862, send your text our way again, 46862. Meanwhile, on the other side, Notre Dame somehow gets by Duke on an off night. The Irish come away with a big road win, what it means for their college football playoff hopes, and where Duke sets up the rest of the year. We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. On a foggy Monday, another text came in during the break on the Colts. CK Richardson is the next RG3. It's an incompetent organization in India. Rookie quarterback doesn't matter if he doesn't have weapons. I mean, I feel like I, he has a decent amount of weapons. He's got a pretty good tight end room, right? A lot of depth there. Michael Pittman Jr. is a good receiver. He's not great, but he's good. Do they need more at receiver? Yes. The offensive line is it's, it's good. I wouldn't. It's not great anymore. It used to be great. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a, a bright outlook again if he can stay healthy, which is is not so much related to. The offensive line, it's more just related to sliding, like the, the cheers that the crowd had when he slid <laughs> early on in the game after a run. I think that says a lot. That's an, an aware fan base, too, that knows that he needs to slide more. I think it's too early to talk RG3 and how he could turn out, but I, well, I don't think it's too early to have the conversations because RG3, remember, had a dynamic rookie season. Yes. One rookie of the year. A lot more complete as a player than Anthony Richardson coming into league too. But I think there's two things when you look at RG3, the lack of weaponry, the lack of protection, and the inability to get down on plays. And that's what ruined RG3. And the jury is still out for Anthony Richardson. So it's possible that happens. But you hope the Indianapolis Colts are at least smart enough to recognize that, yeah, they do probably need a number one receiver. And they may need to give up some trade assets to get it. But hopefully they see the importance of that and don't think long-term that Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce are the answer as your one and two wide receivers because they haven't been consistent enough. I just keep coming back to that word consistency. The, The Colts are not consistent enough to be considered a playoff contender this year, and they don't have consistent enough plays, consistent enough play from their skill position players to think you're comfortable in that realm. You, 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 this isn't a burgeoning offense with a very young, dynamic group that just needs to grow. That may be the case with Anthony Richardson, but it's not with the supporting cast around him. 46862, again, your text line number. Also, someone had a uh, a text on the Bears. Why? Come in. <laughs> he said, why? <laughs> Uh, it, it was the Colts need to fire Eberflus or the Bears need Matt, to fire. Or, yeah, sorry, the Bears need to fire Eberflus and Matt Canada. They also threw in Vance Joseph. Um, he's the Broncos defense coordinator, but yes, the Broncos defense. Yeah, is terrible. sure. Fire uh, and then said, "What do you do? Trade Fields for yep. Caleb Williams? Well, you don't have to. You don't have to. You got the top two picks right now. And Justin Fields. There were going to be so many people that are going to point to his stat line yesterday and go, see." Justin Fields is good if you let him do what he does, blah, blah, blah. In the end, Justin Fields is what? He still only has five wins as a professional quarterback. 
That's unacceptable as a quarterback. He's had good games. He's had bad games. But in the end, he has five wins in the NFL. That's terrible. All about the the quarterback win stat? Yeah. In the end, that's all it comes down to is winning games. And he can't. And yesterday, he had another opportunity. Down 31-28 with the ball, plenty of time, a couple timeouts, move the ball down the field, at least kick a field goal to tie it. Now, you never know. Matt Matt Everflus may have decided to go for fourth down again. But in the clutch... When the Bears needed Justin Fields to make plays, he didn't. He threw a pick. And he had a horrible intentional grounding the play before. And you could say, too, during the course of that game, 28-7, to he did not do what it t- took to put the Denver Broncos away. Justin Fields is not a winner in the NFL. Yesterday may have bought him time, but he's not the long-term answer quarterback for the Chicago Bears. I don't know where the buck ends for the Chicago Bears because you have a new team president, Kevin Warren. Does he look at Ryan Poles, the GM, as he had his chance and he's done? Or is two we- two years not enough to judge him? I... Because he's, he's he whiffed you have a on new, the... Yeah, you have a new administration coming in, so that makes it a little trickier. But Ryan Poles whiffed on the, on the coaching hire. He whiffed on the trade for Chase Claypool. Yeah. Big time. And he's whiffed so far in his major acquisitions in the offseason. So is he on the chopping block too? Who knows? Perhaps. 46862. Again, your text line number 46862. Uh, CK Fields is a backup. Nothing more. Yeah, at this point, I, I think that's probably yeah. pretty obvious. As someone else, Colts will have a single tight end in the top 20 in the NFL. Nobody to stretch the field or soften things up for a wider... I mean, yeah, they don't have a top 20 tight end, but I think you have a lot of good options. They just got to figure out who emerges as that number one guy. At times, it's been Mo Alley-Cox. This year, Kylan Granson's played pretty well in spots. Ogletree yesterday. Ogletree. um, Mo uh, Alley-Cox. I already mentioned Jelani Woods, who's on... Uh, injured reserve like that that's that's the other name on the list so they have depth they just don't have clear-cut you know number one on down the depth chart guys I do think though that the Colts lack a tight end that is a Travis Kelsey type now 25 teams in the NFL lack a Travis Kelsey type 30 teams but I'm saying a guy that can get down the field win battles against linebackers and get downfield and get in space and make big plays even the Bears have seemingly somebody like that in Cole Komet. We saw him score a couple touchdowns yesterday. So you have a lot of, I think, traditional lumbering dudes at tight end for the Colts that are the tight ends of old, but not the current modern day tight ends that can really stretch the field and even split out away from the from the line in the slot and make some things happen. And I think that is is maybe what the texture's talking about. 46862 again, the text line number 46862. Um, one more thought on the Bears last I checked. Football is not a one on one sport. Fields needs help all the way from the front office to the front linebackers. Why? I don't understand why people defend Justin Fields this much. He's, play, he's started 30 games in the NFL. 30 games. And he has, what, five wins? Six wins? Yeah. Something like that? That's terrible. 
And don't don't give me that the Bears don't haven't given him help. He has DJ Moore. He has Cole Komet. He has a couple NFL quality running backs. Okay, he has pieces. Okay, and he still cannot perform. You could use that excuse year one, maybe even year two. This is year three, okay, of Justin Fields. And he has won five games, six games maybe, all time as a starter. He's terrible, and he is not a winner, period. Is that too harsh? No, he, he hasn't won. <laughs> he hasn't <laughs> it's, won. It's not harsh. I'm it's not reality. saying. I'm not saying he's 100% what's wrong with the Chicago Bears. I'm saying we've seen enough to know that Justin Fields is not a franchise quarterback he, in the NFL. He can't hack it as QB1. No, he's not a QB1 he's in this backup. league. He's a backup. Correct. Which is fine, but when you invest that no, much in a player... You invest that much. It's... Was he, is he, was he hurt because of the Chicago Bears and the development of... Pro- yeah, probably. Here's, but, here's the real issue. Why have the Bears struggled to develop a quarterback well, that's a, for so long? Can we expand this show to four hours this morning? Because <laughs> that takes a lot of time. But here's the thing, too, is you talk about Justin Fields and the throws he makes in college and blah, 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 that don't translate to the pros. And you looked at Caleb Williams, a phenomenal weekend for him. And the the play that I kept seeing was him in the pocket for two or three seconds, didn't see anything, floated out to the left side, and then threw across his body downfield with nobody on him, nobody on Caleb Williams, nobody touched him, nobody close for a good five seconds. And then got down the field for a wide open uh, receiver for a touchdown. That play doesn't happen in the NFL. You do not have four, five, six seconds to throw. You do not have wide open guys downfield. So when we're talking about looking at Caleb Williams as an NFL quarterback, I need to see plays that are NFL plays. And when going back to Justin Fields and going through his tape, you saw a lot of plays that succeeded in the in college football because he had a wealth of time in the pocket or he could outrun guys with his legs and get downfield and turn the corner. You can't do that in the NFL. So when you're looking at the next stars, of the NFL in terms of quarterbacks, you have to see more out of Caleb Williams than just six, seven seconds in the pocket and scrambling out and then throwing downfield to wide open receivers. That's not reality in the NFL. Meanwhile, you talking college, Notre Dame, Duke on Saturday night. The Irish, completely out of this game, had no, really no hope in the in late in the second half. Um, it, it felt like this game was over. Yeah, they were down a point, but sometimes the, way the offense was going. Sometimes you get lucky, right? And and you got unlucky with a punt call where they reversed it, even though it was a non-reviewable play. Uh, that w- would have put the ball inside the five and said it's a touchback. Oh, I've been inside uh, the one. Uh, you have uh, some some unlucky play. I mean, penalty-wise, I mean, this was a disaster for Notre Dame. And, and to be fair, most of the penalties were warranted because there are, what, six procedural penalties? Well, I think most of them in the first half. It was terrible. So you're somehow up big. In fact, it was, what, 13-3 at halftime, but yet it never felt oh, like... It was 10-0 at halftime. They were 10-0. up 13-0 early in the third. It never felt like, though, they were in control of this game because they left so many points on the board. Duke, predictably, came back, made it a game, took the lead late, game had completely flipped. Notre Dame takes over at their five-yard line. They drive down the field, and they, they get stalled back by an offensive pass interference. Suddenly, it's fourth and 16. Sam Hartman with... He wasn't trying to run. He, he just no. he had nobody open. Took off, 
gets the first down on fourth and 16, and somehow Notre Dame escapes with a road win at Duke. Audrey Gastemay scoring the next play on a touchdown run that was really just setting up for field goal position, which is another debate. But Notre Dame takes it. Uh, Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback, hurt on their, their final drive of the game. High ankle sprain is the word. Uh, the dreaded high ankle sprain. So for Duke, I mean, it, it what was looking like a very promising season now suddenly looks quite iffy, uh, depending on how long he's out. Uh, but for, for Notre Dame, you missed a field goal. Uh, you had all the penalties. You had that punt reversal. You convert a fourth and 16. You overcome an offensive pass interference on the final drive. <sighs> Here's the thing. Uh, overall, you get a road win against a ranked team, you take it. I don't care how ugly it is. And now it's 30 straight against the ACC. 30 straight. It's not, it's unreal. Very impressive late for Notre Dame. You, you, you take the win and you get the hell out of Durham, North Carolina is basically what you do. And that's what Notre Dame was able to do. And that's why you brought in Sam Hartman, right? That's why you have a QB1, the caliber of Sam Hartman playing his sixth year of college football. You finally let him, and you had to, in the end, unleash him and let him work. You didn't think it would be a 16, 17-yard run on 4th and 16 to get a first down to continue the drive and give Notre Dame a shot, but you allowed him to do what he does best, and that's the sling the football. Notre Dame was in a bad spot even before this game started with its top two receivers out and Jaden Thomas and Jordan Greathouse. Tobias Merriweather, can, can, we, can we turn the page on Tobias Merriweather, please? I, I've so, uh, so much hype on him, and outside of that years, one touchdown his freshman year, I, I feel like we've not seen him become the guy that everyone said no, he would be. Not at all. Can't, can't catch at all. Four targets, zero catches on Saturday. I'm done hearing about Tobias Merriweather. And that offensive pass interference. Yes. Uh, Rico Flores, I thought for a true freshman to come in, uh, had some, a couple drops, but also some crucial catches. But it was Mitchell Evans. And we saw Brock Bowers dominate late for Georgia in that win on the road against Auburn. And we saw Mitchell Evans do his best best Brock Bowers impression for Notre Dame in that game. Six catches, 134 yards. It's amazing what Notre Dame can accomplish when teams are thinking pass. And of course, Duke had to late in that game with Notre Dame driving, but that's when Audric Estime was able to break that touchdown that, that won the game for Notre Dame. And I think that going forward is what Notre Dame needs to focus on. Jared Parker needs sat down and said, you know what? We have a top five, at least a top 10 quarterback in the country. And you're not calling a game that plays to that man's strengths. You're down 14-13 right after Duke had scored. The momentum is in Duke's hands. Brookfields is rocking. And you run, run, pass, punt. How many times do we see run, run, pass, punt? Way too many times. Ten straight missed third downs prior to that last drive for Notre Dame. I don't understand this concept of committing to the run when it's just not there. Use the pass to set up the run. I'm tired of hearing about this three, four, five-headed running back monster. It doesn't matter if you can't run the football. And the, the offensive line has proven that it can't open holes consistently enough for this running game. Use your quarterback to open up the run game. 
But Jared Parker seems incompetent in figuring that out. And that's what you get sometimes when you hire a first first man for first year offensive coordinator, right? Well, first year at Notre Dame. Well, first year at Notre Dame. Yeah, I offensive get it. coordinator previously at West Virginia. Here's here's the problem. So you look at Hartman's attempts. He had his most attempts on the season with just 30 on Saturday night. Part of the problem is Notre Dame was in all these blowout wins early in the season. So 23 attempts, 17, 24, Well, they were running 26. all over teams, so they yeah. think they can do it all the time. Correct. They couldn't do but it against Ohio State. They couldn't do it against Duke. You need Sam Hartman to be throwing it at least 30 times every game because he's that good of a talent. Yeah. And and, and that's the thing I think that's kind of the, the thing that's not getting through with Notre Dame. And also the offensive play calling. Can we... Can we like get more creative? Like just runs oh, up the middle all the time. Terrible. Like there, you have talented players, and I feel like since the Ohio State game in particular, the play calling has re- regressed. It's like they were doing all this creative stuff at the start of the year, and I get it. They're lesser opponents. You're scoring a lot more points. But where's the? We saw a lot more variety in those early games than what we're seeing. Now. Yeah, we're not seeing that currently. It, it seems like. Jared Parker is terrified to think outside the box. He did it last week against Ohio State, very vanilla, and then we saw it on Saturday night against Duke. Is Yeah, your top two receivers are out, but are do you have faith in your other guys or not? Felt like a repeat of last year where it was just Mitchell Evans over the middle. Mitchell Evans on the yes. sideline. Mitchell Evans underneath. Like That was their option because it's clear that the, the wide receiver room is improved from what it was last year. No one's doubting that. But having those two guys out, including your your star freshman, Jaden Greathouse, along with Jaden Thomas, just showed you that this receiver room has a long way to go to have depth because, yes, you're missing your, your two of your top receivers, but it was like it was like Drew Pine throwing to Michael Mayer all over again. <laughs> I mean, there was just there was nothing from the wide receivers on Saturday night. Not Nothing. at all. And and I feel like Sam Hartman needs to be utilized as a guy that can raise the level of those players. And I think you're throwing the ball. You, you need to throw the ball more. In the end, Notre Dame got the win. It's just the third and fourth quarter were extremely frustrating if you're a Notre Dame fan because you saw Duke getting back in the game, scoring their way back in the game and eventually taking the lead in the fourth quarter. And Notre Dame just kept doing the same thing. They still kept trying to run between the tackles, trying to get to the outside occasionally, not getting the ball downfield, only passing on obvious passing downs. It was very, very predictable. Notre Dame finished 3 of 15 on third down. They had as many fourth down conversions, Caleb, as they did third down conversions. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, not three surprising three. when you're... When you're that bad on third, I mean, both teams were bad on third down for the record. But, but Duke was able early in the game. Duke was they were yeah. start able to they were able to start converting in the second half. Eventually, finished six of fifteen. But when you look at Notre Dame, the defense played well enough for Notre Dame to win that game. When they were down 14-13, and you and I were texting back and forth, I said the defense cannot be blamed for this. They did everything they possibly could. Eventually, they were going to give up points. Okay, and you mentioned like they're just absolutely gassed because Notre Dame kept having to punt in the second half because they couldn't put together drives and couldn't convert third downs. I think the defense played a tremendous game against Duke and Riley Leonard. They made him look absolutely terrible in the first uh, all half. This, all this hype about him being a first-round quarterback talent, I certainly Don't didn't see it. see it on Saturday night. He looked like a, a really good college quarterback whose game doesn't translate to the NFL. He looks like, like a perfect quarterback for the Chicago Bears to draft. I think that's going to be very really good. That's kind of where I look at it as. But... 
Notre Dame escapes from Durham. They get the win. But when you're looking at now road games at Louisville and then a home game, of course, with USC in two weeks, Notre Dame has to change up the play calling. It has to stop being so incredibly passive. And I think part of the problem is Jared Parker, he saw all the success that Notre Dame was having to start the season against inferior opponents on the ground and just thinks Notre Dame's going to be able to do that. They weren't able to do it against Ohio State. They certainly weren't able to do it against Duke. It cost them against Ohio State. It almost cost them at Duke. And hopefully that final drive and what we saw to Sam Hartman opened the eyes of Jared Parker and made him realize that, yeah, I do have the best quarterback that Notre Dame has had in a decade, and I am not using him as much as I should. Hopefully that message got through. Meanwhile, IU gets blown out against Maryland. No no surprise on that, but it's it's more what happened after is – IU fired offensive coordinator Walt Bell. Not so much that that was the most surprising element. Uh, They failed to score more than 17 points for the third time against a major conference opponent. It's that Tom Allen hired Rod Carey, who is a quality control coach, also offensive line coach since joining the staff last year, will take over as coordinator, not on an interim basis, but permanently, a permanent hire in the midseason. So in, in, in at least till the end of the season when Tom Allen gets fired? Yeah, yeah right? Uh, that, that's really what this comes down to. What we saw at IU, uh, the defense had been great all season, and then they played Maryland. Oh, and terrible. Talia Tagovailoa torched them for over 300 yards and five touchdowns. Um, Rod Carey is at least experienced as an offensive coordinator who's the OC at Northern Illinois 2011 to 2016. They, of course, had a couple of really good seasons where they are ranked nationally. During that span, thankfully, IU heads into the bye week. Second worst scoring offense in the Big Ten, 113th in the, in the nation. Look, it, it's clear. The writing's on the wall. If if they're not willing to pay the buyout for Tom Allen after this season, which is going nowhere once again in year seven, they're not serious about winning in football. I, I don't know what else to say. For several years, at least the last two, you could at least say that IU was playing hard for Tom Allen. I didn't see that on Saturday. I saw a team that just was going through the motions at Maryland. You come in to play an undefeated team in a stadium that wasn't very full. So it's not like it was a raucous atmosphere. And you just completely laid an egg. You did not look like you wanted to be there and play a football game. And that is when... That is the key indicator of when change is needed. When a team just isn't ready to play football. And we're now seeing that that stage of the Tom Allen era in Bloomington where they're just not interested in playing. Meanwhile, Purdue finally wins a home game this year. Uh, They go on a huge rally uh, in the third quarter, scoring uh, a lot of points to put away. In fact, 21 points outscoring Illinois, 21-0 in the third to Win the Cannon 44-19 to over the Illini. So Purdue really hits reset on their season. I thought the biggest thing is that Hudson Card was a lot more protective of the football. And again, just get Deion Burks more involved. Five catches, 83 yards, a touchdown. He is a great talent, and, and there are some NFL scouts, they said on the broadcast, who have been kind of looking at him over the season. He is a legit player. Purdue needs to get him the ball a lot more. Yeah, which is something we've been saying for a couple weeks now. Purdue, Tyrone Tracy Jr. with a good game outside of the backfield, over 100 yards. 
and uh, a touchdown. When you look at Illinois, is we're seeing why talent is so important or lack thereof. Illinois defense was phenomenal last year, largely because of its secondary. Three guys go in the first three rounds of the NFL draft, including Devon Witherspoon at five. And now Illinois can't stop anybody. That's the important thing is having talent. And Illinois has a dearth of it now in the secondary and it shows. There is a play early in this game where Luke Altmeyer, as Illinois was driving down the field, missed a wide open player uh, for what would have been an easy touchdown, just a complete overthrow. Can't do it on the road. Illinois had to settle for a field goal. I saw that and I thought, yeah, I, I get that this game was kind of back and forth. And it was still close at halftime. Uh, Purdue led 16-13. But those are plays that set the tone, as you mentioned, on the road. It never felt like Illinois really had had the opportunities after that that they did. And it was kudos to Purdue because this was a game they needed with their fourth road game. We're 0-3 prior to this game at home. This felt, and I hate the term must win, it felt like a game that, that, that Purdue really, really, really needed to win. At home, the schedule gets tougher upcoming. You look at Ryan Walters coming from Illinois to Purdue, wants to beat the team that he coached, wanted to beat his uh, his mentor in terms of Brett, Brett Bielema, and got it done. It was a, a very much a, a needed, needed victory for Purdue, for its fans, for Hudson Card to have a big performance, for Ryan Walters in general, and the Boilermakers were able to execute and get the win. Coming up, hour number two on the other side. Jonathan Taylor reportedly back at practice this week for the Colts. What does it mean? What's the timeline? And how? where do things stand with Taylor and Indy? We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. Thanks for being with us this hour on the show. Jonathan Taylor... Ready to be back with the Colts. What are the next steps? We'll get to that in a bit. Plus, who's the real number one in college football? We'll debate that uh, in about 15 minutes or so. And another sign Shaq Leonard is done with the Colts after this season. His numbers on the season, what he did yesterday, pretty glaring sign that things are not uh, trending in a positive direction. Plus, before we leave you, the White Claw Stealing Three-Legged Bear. Yes, these are all real things, and it's the same bear. At it again, uh, the latest. Uh, we'll get to that before we wrap it up around 8.50 or so. Hopefully he got off the uh, hard seltzer kick. We'll see. <laughs> we, we, we will see. Indeed, 46862 is your text line number, 46862. Uh, let us know your thoughts on the text line, including Jonathan Taylor's return. Will he add a lot to the offense? Will he come back and be a team player? Or will he continue to cause problems? Let us know on the text line. You can also reach us on Twitter, Caleb Kinney 1380, our show handle. Uh, my handle is Caleb Hatch. Justin's is J Kinney OPS. And you can also stream us 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app. You can download that for free in your app store or on your smart speaker. And as always, if you miss anything, you can catch up, download the podcast, look for around 1030 every day after the show. You can catch up on anything that you missed. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, 
all for free. A lot of text coming in on the text line today, so thanks everyone. Um, I'm mad at me. Yeah, Justin Fields. I can handle it. As a Justin Fields hater. Here's my thing taking out of yesterday's game. And for all those who love Justin Fields out there for some reason, nothing that happened yesterday changed my mind that Justin Fields is not a QB1 in the NFL. He had a great first three quarters. Actually, a great first half, basically. And that's fine. Every quarterback can have good halves and good three quarters, good games even. But the fact is they lost the game. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Are the, co- are, are the coaches to blame? Yeah. Defense not getting stops? Sure. But in the end, you didn't win the football game. And you had opportunities late in that game to lead your team to a win. And you didn't. You're a loser in the, co- in, in the NFL. It, it, I mean, you're 6-23 and 23 or something like that. You're a loser. You can't win games in the NFL. And talking about the, the development, or the, it's year three of Justin Fields, people. And he has six wins in the NFL. He's a loser. As is the majority of Chicago Bears coaching staff, by the way. <laughs> 46862, again, your text line number to reach out to us, 46862. Meanwhile, the Colts fall in overtime to the Rams in a game that, based on the first half, I don't think you can be too upset with the results of this game. The Colts, to me, showed enough, rally back in the second half, made it a game. You saw flashes from Anthony Richardson that he has proven enough to be a legitimate NFL quarterback as far as you're, what you're looking for. He's shown it, and I get it. People are still going to say, well, he can't stay healthy. Well, he stayed healthy yesterday. Um, you can criticize his completion percentage, rightfully so. But I'm seeing things trending in a positive direction. Now, uh, this is a, a critical week for the Colts because Jonathan Taylor is reportedly going to return to practice this week. There's a 21-day practice window that opens once he returns to practice. That gives the Colts 21 days to decide if they're going to activate him to the 53-man roster. So you have plenty of time to make this decision. Uh, it's not like you have to go out there and, and make a decision this week and and figure out what you're going to do with this. Now, he can be activated today. Will he be? I, Will I mean, he? What, we, nobody knows. I mean, Yeah, no one knows. We're talking about what he's going to provide the Colts on the field. We don't even know if he's going to show up, let alone play in a game with the Indianapolis Colts. Does he come in? And tow the company line and be a good good employee and up his value? Or is he come in and continues to be a distraction? Or does he just not show up at all? He, he still wants to be traded, understandably so. But here's the thing. He has to play at least eight games this season for his contract year to toll, as, as we mentioned before, which just means that it, it counts. Otherwise, it won't count and he'd still have two years remaining on his contract as opposed to one, uh, which is... Obviously a huge deal. Now the Colts, if they keep him, they're just going to franchise him. Now I don't know if they'll keep him in the offseason, but the Colts can utilize that franchise tag. Here's the, the ultimate thing for me. Either Taylor sees the opportunity and knows that he has to return to play on the field as an NFL player to prove himself coming off an injury. And I think he adds a whole level of, of dynamic play to the Colts offense 
that's not there. The running game has been better than I think I would have expected without him there. Zach Moss, I mean, yes, week one was bad. Zach Moss comes back and is showing why he was a starter in Buffalo. He's showing why that he can be a top, not a, a top running back in the league, but a top running back for a franchise. He has been more than adequate in the role. But Jonathan Taylor is different. If he is healthy, he needs to play. And whatever comes of this week, I, I still say that if, if Jonathan Taylor is not willing to play and he's just going to pout and sit out, see ya. Here's my thing with Jonathan Taylor. Is how, many, how many running backs won a team a game yesterday? I, I don't know. Probably none. Christian McCaffrey, maybe. Three touchdowns in the first half for the San Francisco 49ers. But running backs aren't difference-making players in the NFL, except the upper echelon dudes. Jonathan Taylor likes to think he's an upper echelon dude, but he can't stay healthy, and he didn't produce last year. So he needs to come out and perform. Text coming in, is it, already been, it has already been shown Jonathan Taylor will always put himself before the team no matter who he plays for. That will be further evidenced this week if Jonathan Taylor comes in and is a distraction or doesn't even come in at all. It just doesn't show up to work. Goes back to with Chase Claypool of the Bears. You knew what type of player this was, and he was a healthy scratch yesterday, by the way. You knew what type of player he was a couple years ago in Pittsburgh when the Steelers are trying to drive down the field, and he gets a first down and celebrates with the time running down and no timeouts and costs the Steelers time. And they end up losing that game. Got down to like the 15-yard line, couldn't score against the Vikings. That's a selfish football player. And I still see the same attributes in Chase Claypool, Claypool now. Doesn't try hard 100% of the time. All about himself. He was a healthy scratch yesterday for the Bears. It was a mistake for the Bears to trade a second-round pick for him. So for playing the blame game as much as I put on Justin Fields, that was a bad move by Ryan Poles. Anyway, Chase Claypool and Jonathan Taylor are similar players in the sense that they're out for themselves before the team. And are the Indianapolis Colts comfortable enough with a guy like that to put him back in the lineup? Now, he could stay uh, on the pup list until the start of week eight before he's added back to the active roster. This is a long window. Again, 21 days. But the challenge for him is he has to play in at least eight games for his contract year to toll. So the... (laughs) Between that timeline and his future and what it means, he has to come back. Now, he did post that short, what was it, like a three-second clip of him running and cutting? Yeah, whatever. Several weeks several weeks, weeks ago. But clearly, I don't know if he's going to be ready to go if he's activated this week as far as, you know, back in practice shape and, and ready. Now... If he's healthy, he would have been training this whole time. He'd be ready to go, right? But I have my doubts based on how everything in this situation has played out so far. It's um, it's it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Unfortunately, it'll probably steal the narrative of uh, the Colts this week, much like it did the preseason. But time will tell what kind of Jonathan Taylor we get. Trade deadline, October 31st. So that's the other option for the Colts. But... Again, what team's going to take a flyer on a guy if, for example, he hasn't played in games 
and is coming off an ankle surgery. So there's just there's there's too many question marks, too many things unknown. He needs to come back and play. Now, whether he wants to come back or play, that's up to him. Clearly, though, if he wants any future as a, a top paid running back in the NFL, he will find a way to play and play well in his return because that's his only hope of getting what he wants moving forward. And he's going to have to show out and perform and show he can not only produce, but produce without being a problem. Do you think, though, if he comes back, do you think the Colts' offense gets better? I think it does. I think he adds a whole other element with Anthony Richardson as quarterback as as far as having a guy who can run the ball, uh, having a, a top 10 back in the NFL in the backfield, along with Anthony Richardson. There's just so much more you can do offensively. I think it opens up a lot more. Yeah, it, it definitely does, but we have to remind ourselves that this team was not a good football team last year with Jonathan Taylor. So I don't think he's all of a sudden changing the fortunes of the Colts. I don't know how much better their offense gets with Jonathan Taylor in there because I think Zach Moss has been pretty solid. And it comes down to that offensive line blocking or not blocking. So hopefully, in a perfect world, Jonathan Taylor comes back this week. He says, I'm all in. I may be in it to produce for myself, but I'm in it to help the team say all the things, say all the right things, go out, play out, and then get paid, either by the Colts or somebody else. That's what Jonathan Taylor has to do. But is he capable of doing that? Is he capable of drowning out the voices around him, doing the right thing, the mature thing, the manly thing, reporting to work, go to work, and then hopefully it pays off for him? I don't know yet. Here's the thing. If I'm Jonathan Taylor, I come back as soon as I can. I show out. Still have the trade request and say, hey, you can trade me. And get me off your hands. Yes. And and even, you know, if you're the Colts, eventually you're just going to have to relent as far as if he continues to be a a troublemaker as far as, you know, not actually criminal activity here, but, you know, within the locker room and being a a player who is not a team player, you just got to get rid of those guys and you're not going to get the value you wanted. And that's fine, but that's the reality. And I think we're going to get to that point if he comes back and is healthy and is playing and playing at a high level. You never know what teams are going to be desperate enough close to the trade deadline. It's not MLB trade deadline, but we've seen more and more activity in recent years close to that deadline in the NFL. And if teams think they have a realistic shot in the playoffs or trying to make the playoffs and they have a shallow running back room or a key injury, then Jonathan Taylor can look pretty appetizing to them. But Taylor first has to perform on the field. He's not going to be coveted right now not playing, especially when he's eligible to play, as he is starting this week. 46862, your text line number 46862. Hey, I mean, we had Chris McCaffrey traded, right? So, we did. Uh, just last worked year. Worked out so pretty good for him. Worked out well for, I'd say, most parties involved. I mean, the Par- Carolina was moving on. It was not a... Yeah, but play. man, if you put uh if you put um Bryce Young in that position with with Christian McCaffrey, how much would that help him right now? Considerably. I mean, imagine if he had Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore, but you don't get Bryce Young if you don't trade DJ Moore. 
So it's true. That. That's true. I mean, that that's just that's how these things work out, right? You, you you can't always keep the guy that you want to get the guy who you think can take you to another level in the long term, but the short term there's going to be a drop off right. at the most important position in sports. Yes. Four six eight six two again. Your text line number coming up on the other side. Who's the real number one in college football? Uh, a debate. We're several weeks in. We're nearing the halfway point of the season. It's October. We can really start talking about this. We've seen enough from teams. Who's number one? Is it Georgia? Is it Michigan? Is it Texas? Is it somebody else? That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Thirteen eighty. The fan in one hundred point nine FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you. 46862, your text line number. Again, 46862. Let us know your thoughts on the text line. So you, you texted me this over the weekend, and it's true because it seems very much out there in the open as far as where things stand. Do we really believe Georgia's still the top team in college football. They're they're there because, well, they've won the last two national titles. Yeah, they're there because they started the season there. But when you look at, based on how teams have played, is Georgia truly the number one team right now? And you can make a legitimate argument to say that they aren't. And there are several teams in the conversation in college football. Michigan, who's also up there because of making the college football playoff the last two years, they haven't been tested yet. So we don't really know. Now, have they played well? Yes, they've taken care of business. They're blowing teams out week after week. Um, You could say Texas. They beat Alabama on the road, and they beat Kansas. They have Oklahoma. Yes, it was ranked. And they have Oklahoma this Saturday in the Red River shootout uh, at the Cotton Bowl. And, I mean, Oklahoma's a a team who's also won a lot but played nobody for the most part. Um, Is it Florida State? Florida State's wins don't look as good now. I mean, beating LSU, who uh, was still, upset over the weekend. Yeah, I'm still saying that's a good beating win. Beating Clemson. I still say that's a good win. It's not a great win, mm-hmm. but it's better than what Michigan yeah. has done. And then you have Washington. I mean, you could throw in like three Ohio Pac-12 State. teams. Ohio State. You could even throw in USC, Oregon into that mix as well. Penn I, State, your Penn, preseason team, it's 5-0. and Surprised yeah. you haven't been... Uh, because uh, I, I don't think they're a, a, I don't think they're in the running to be a number one team. I think they're a top five team, but I don't think they're they haven't beaten anybody. Yeah, they didn't play I well don't. for a while uh, against Northwestern on Saturday either. So you you look at these teams. To me, Texas should be number one based on who they've played, who they've beaten, and what they've done. They've played a tougher schedule than a lot of these teams, and they've taken care of business. To me, they are the number one team right now in college football. Um, I would look at, I'm going with, who I brought this question up and then I didn't even have an answer Washington. who I was going to go with. I wanted, that's what I was going to say. I was gonna, wanted to go with Washington with my guy Penix, but you'd look at their schedule and who have they beaten. I mean, Boise State's two and three. Michigan State's terrible. Uh, Cal, Cal is not great. Arizona stinks. So who have they beaten? So I think in terms of judging teams based on what they've done, I think it's tough not to go with Texas and they have another opportunity to prove it in the Red River shootout at high noon on Saturday against Oklahoma. Georgia, their lead as far as the number one spot has slipped. Uh, Michigan had 12 first place votes. Texas had 10. Ohio State won. Florida State four. Georgia with 35. So still commanding, but 
at some point, right? If Texas blows out Oklahoma, wouldn't shock me if they could vault their way to number Especially one. Especially if Georgia struggles with Kentucky. Which, Kentucky's a really good team. Uh, Ray Davis ran all over Florida on Saturday, and it wouldn't shock me at all if Kentucky pulled that upset. And when you look at the schedule, is there's no big, big games on Georgia's schedule left in terms of real hurdles, but they play a lot of really solid teams. They play yeah. Kentucky, Missouri. They have to go to Florida, and I know Florida's down, but you have to go to the swamp. And that like like Auburn, Auburn and, and Florida are in the same boat, and you barely beat Auburn. Missouri, like you said, Ole Miss, Tennessee, but you don't play Alabama, you don't play LSU. Um, so you're look, the schedule is pretty easy for Georgia, but are we judging Georgia based on the last two years and not this year? I think we are. That's why it's tough to buy in right now. Georgia being the top team in the country. We've always just assumed that Georgia is number one, but with the struggles they had against Auburn and they don't win that game without Brock Bowers. Thankfully they do have Brock Bowers if you're a Georgia fan, but you look at other teams body of work thus far. And it's more impressive when you look at Texas, when you look at Florida State, when you look at Ohio State, when you look at Michigan, and I know they haven't beaten anybody, but how they've beaten teams has been very impressive, not allowing more than a single touchdown in a game yet this year. And we still may have to wait a long time to figure out how good Michigan is because they have Minnesota coming up this weekend, then they have Indiana, Michigan State, Purdue before they go to Penn State in mid-November. <laughs> it's a long time to wait and see. It's so bad. Big Ten is so bad. And we were talking about it too. It's like that Maryland game where there was nobody there. And I know it's Indiana. And there's not a lot of excitement to go see the Hoosiers. But, but like in, in, like other, five and in other conferences, a team like that is still getting a draw in a conference game. Even if, say, even if you're Georgia playing Mississippi State. You're still selling tickets. Totally. I mean, or I'm trying to think of a, a mid-level SEC team. Like, what's a mid-level? Like, Arkansas, yeah. and you're playing Kentucky. State. I know Kentucky's kind of up right now, like, but they still draw. Like, I, I was shocked because Maryland plays Ohio State next week in what is a big matchup. Like, that is an interesting game. And yet there was, what, it felt like there were 10,000 people in the stadium, at most, on Saturday. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's pretty bad. Like, if, if you don't try to hype Big Ten football up to me, and then watch that Maryland IU game where there was nobody there. The SEC is the king of college football in the sense that, in terms of fan bases, in terms of atmospheres, and and it's not even close. There are some lame game day atmospheres in the Big Ten. And Maryland, you're 4-0. You went 5-0. At the very least, don't you have thousands of your fans that are going, hey, I can get cheap tickets. They're playing IU. That's a win. I'm not going to try to get tickets to Ohio State, but I'm going to go to this IU game. And No, there was nobody there. It was pathetic. And and then if anybody wants to try to argue with me that the Big Ten is the best conference in college football, no way. But coming back to the topic at hand and what we're talking about, who do you think? is the top team in college football right now. Georgia, you can say, okay, with their long winning streak, back-to-back national championships, taking all that out of the equation and judging a program strictly by what they've done so far this year, it's not Georgia. It's Texas. 
or Ohio State or Florida State. I think those are kind of the three contenders right now. Uh, 46862, let us know on the text line. Also, you can vote in the Twitter poll, Caleb Kinney 1380. Uh, who should be the number one team, Georgia, Michigan, Texas, or other? Uh, and just let us know in the replies on that below. But based on what we've seen, here's my thing. And I, it, I this is what I said all preseason. And you said I was crazy. But I said teams with new starting quarterbacks, I'm not sold on. So I was not sold on Georgia going into the season, new starting quarterback. Now, so far, they made it through the first month of the season undefeated. But a, a lot of their toughest tests are still coming up, and they've struggled against South Carolina and Auburn, which are very down as programs right now. It's not a good sign. Um, Ohio State, Kyle McCord is is coming into his own, but we've we've seen you know how much of a difference that makes. He struggled a couple games. He did have that game-winning drive against Notre Dame. I'm still not sold as far as him being an elite quarterback this year. Could he Could he down the road? Absolutely. But he just needs more time. Um, and am I trusting him on the road against Penn State or Wisconsin or Michigan? No. Um, and then Alabama. Jalen Milrow, great runner, had a great game Saturday. It's a really bad opponent in Mississippi State. What was it, like 10 to 12? passing and ran for a bunch of yards, a couple touchdowns. Yeah. But here's the thing. Anyone and everyone is blowing out Mississippi State. I need to see him do it in a game again, and he's yet to do that in these big matchups. They get Texas A&M this weekend. Could Alabama be eliminated from the college football playoff in early October? We could see it this weekend if they lose to A&M. You know, it's fascinating. Speaking of teams eliminated from the college football playoff discussion, LSU. Yeah, it was my favorite going into the season. It was a lot of people's favorite, at least a dark horse, to make the college football playoff. Their loss in that crazy game on Saturday at Ole Miss. Congratulations to Lane Kiffin for finally getting an actual win, an impact win. Excuse me. But how about Brian Kelly? Out of the playoff contention, while his former team, former program, at least for another week, is still alive. So far, that hasn't worked out. You looked at last year LSU and say, man, next year, bringing so much back and year two under Brian Kelly, they're going to be dangerous. That defense is terrible. And it's showing. And Brian Kelly and LSU are out of the playoff race. It was shocking to see how bad. And Jaden Daniels, the quarterback, doing everything he can. Phenomenal job. Uh, he's a great player. I kind of had him as a dark horse Heisman guy going into the season. Um, he had a great year last year. Huge game. Ole Miss had over 700 yards of offense, which is absurd. It was an SEC record. Uh, but as you mentioned, LSU's defense, terrible. Uh, the defense is in the SEC, not what they used to be. And we're seeing that play out. And I'm just waiting for Georgia, for example, to get knocked off their throne. I think that's going to happen sooner than you think. It's either that or the Auburn game was a wake-up call. We'll see. Well, that's what you could have said about the South Carolina game. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> 46862, your text line number 46862. You have thoughts on who should be number one in college football. Meanwhile, next, another sign Shaq Leonard is done after the season as a Colt. That's coming up. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Happy Monday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. 
46862 is how you reach us on the text line again. 46862. More thoughts on the Colts. Send them our way. Shaq Leonard limited in this one. Uh, Zaire Franklin left the game briefly with an injury in the second half. Shaq Leonard was not the guy who came back in as far as replacing him at that position. This is pretty telling that it was Saguna Luby who came in and was the guy who's now in just his second season with the Colts. Didn't, didn't record, you know, anything. He had one combination tackle, um, but, but that was it. Um, One assist, but like, is that not tell you everything you need to know about Shaq Leonard? The fact that he's not in the game parts of the second half. He wasn't in, you know, in key stretches defensively. His snap percentage each game this season uh, going into down. this week has gone down. He's um, a liability right now at linebacker for the Indianapolis Colts. Three tackles yesterday. He's fourth in tackles on the team. No sacks. One tackle for loss. No forced fumbles. That's his calling cord. Calling card. As an NFL player, no fumble recoveries, no picks, no passes defended. The Colts can say, oh, it's part of the rotation all they want. And this isn't a surprise, but man, to see him not even be the guy to step in for Zaire Franklin, who's turned into a star, right? I mean, he's a tackling machine. It was huge again yesterday. But it just shows you how far he has fallen as an NFL player. Which is something, unfortunately, we expected with the injury that he was dealing with and the amount of time that it was taking to come back with back and nerve damage. I mean, it's significant. And after he retires, when he retires, he will come clean about just how debilitating it was right now. He's trying to make his NFL career last as long as he can. But in 2021, there was 11 games in which he played every single snap of the game pre-injury. Last year in three games before he was again out with the injury, never played more than 54% of the snaps. And this year we've seen him go from, what, 75 down to, to mid-60s? I mean, he was at 85% in week one, and now 45% on Sunday. It's a guy that is trending in the wrong direction, and you have other dudes like Franklin, like EJ Speed, Uh, Even Grant Stewart, who is getting more playing time and higher now in the rotation than Shaq Leonard. Unfortunately, it's something out of Shaq's control because it's injury-related. And we questioned whether he could ever be the player he once was. I think we're getting the answer right now. Is is snap percentage, as you mentioned, nearly 86% week one down to 45% on Sunday. And that number is declining quite a bit each week. Yeah, so it's not going th- th- in the right this direction. Is, this is it for him. I will be shocked if he is a Colt in 2024. I would agree. Who has a better chance of being an Indianapolis Colt in 2024? Jonathan <laughs> Taylor or Shaq Leonard? Jonathan Taylor, and I don't think it's even close. All right, well, we'll see if Jonathan Taylor... Is a good soldier, a good employee, and behaves this week and shows up for work tomorrow and going forward prepping for week five. Or is he a just continues to be a distraction? We'll see. And, and the Colts are lucky that they found the players like EJ Speed. Yeah, he had that terrible late hit early in the game. Zaire Franklin um, uh, briefly out of the game, came back. 
But the, you have two linebackers who are are set. You're set as a franchise in the next couple of years. Those spots. It's finding just that third guy. But to have that luxury to have Shaq Leonard, if he's healthy, you know, as being that third guy. Yeah, that's great. But he's not even that guy anymore. No, and I don't think we really appreciate and, and give credit to the Indianapolis Colts for the development of Zaire Franklin. This was a mm-hmm. seventh round pick several years ago, and he's developed into the best linebacker on the Colts, and it's not even close. And I think he continues to develop as one of the best defenders in the AFC and still just 27 years old. So I don't know if enough credit is given in terms, because we focus so much on the Shaq Leonard storyline for good reason, is that Zaire Franklin over the last couple of years in particular, has really, really developed into a good linebacker. And that was a hit for the Indianapolis Colts in the draft. Seventh round in 2018. So pretty impressive. 46862. Again, the text line number 46862. On the other side, we'll wrap things up here on a Monday. The three-legged bear back at it again. Uh, we'll get to the details next as we wrap things up on a Monday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here on a Monday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. So the three-legged bear who previously made headlines for stealing white claws from a Florida fridge, Good back at tripod. it again. Tripod, yep. as the bear is known. What did um, steal this time? So... The they, tripod broke into a Lake Mary family's lanai and dragged three white claws from the fridge. Now this time, right in another home's outdoor refrigerator, um, this, this week at a Heathrow home, again in Florida, home security cameras re- recorded the bear going onto the back porch, using its jaws to open the outdoor refrigerator behind the back porch bar. Uh, did not appear that the bear helped itself, though, to any adult beverages. My question is, were there any white claws in the fridge? Because maybe that's what he was looking for. Didn't yeah, just see looking any. for, you know, craving the white claws. Right, because he didn't take anything. So that's why I need a follow-up with the story, is were there any white claws in the fridge? My guess is no, because he would have taken some. If I know Tripod like I think I know him, <laughs> he would have grabbed some white claws if they were in there. I mean, this take a, I mean, it took a lot of maneuvering to get into... The area. I mean, this is it's not like a very open area. There's a, a counter I had to slide behind there, open the fridge. He knows what he's doing. And then he knows his way around. Hopped hopped along elsewhere, didn't didn't raid anything and, and went about his way. All while missing a leg. Yes. Very impressive by Tripod. Keep grinding, Tripod. You'll find a fridge full of white claws soon enough. I, I hope that People don't do anything to this. Yeah, let him be. Bear. Just let the bear be. Yeah, let him be. You're living in his territory. Let him be. And keep filling those fridges of white claws. <laughs> Give him what he wants. For Justin Kitty, I am Caleb Hatch. That wraps it up for us on Monday. Dan Patrick up next. The herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.